Welcome to another episode of the Loving Life After Loss podcast. I am your host, Marie Alessi. Good morning, beautiful people. It's Marie Alessi. I have come across this very post quite a few times now, and every time I see it, it stirs something within me where I felt like it's time for me to share this message because I know that these talks I get shared outside of my group as well and I really want as many people as possible to see and to hear what I've got to say about this and I have the very meme that I'm talking about in the banner of my talk however if you're watching this outside of my group I really want to share it with you on my phone. It is a meme where people talk about the is grief shrinking over time or are we growing around it? And that is the very image that comes with it. Where people say grief doesn't shrink over time, like in a top row. It doesn't get smaller at all. Grief stays the same. We only grow around it. And I can't believe how many people actually cheer this post on and go like, yeah, that's exactly what happens, that's exactly what it is, and I do not agree with that. I personally believe that it is a combination of it. It is a combination of the grief getting smaller and you growing around it. So imagine when you put those two together how much you can heal, how much you can allow happiness back into your life. The reason why I want to talk to you about this today is because this is not the only meme. There are so many grief diagrams and drawings and labels that are trying to explain why grief is not ever going to shrink or not ever going to go away. It will always stay with you. There will always be a hole in your heart and I do not agree with that. And I can promise you a share from my own personal experience here. It is not that I haven't experienced loss in my life. It is not that I haven't grieved properly, like people would sometimes say. It is because from the very early stages after losing my husband three years and two days ago, that I promised myself that I would focus on healing, that I was focused, I would focus on creating the most happy life I can possibly create for my boys, for myself, because this is what we promised each other. If something was ever to happen to us, we would make sure that our boys have a happy life. And we wanted that for each other too, because this is what love is. You don't want your loved one, your parents, whoever it is that you leave behind, to spend the rest of their lives grieving or in sorrow or in pain or in suffering Nobody in the right mind who really, truly loves a person wants him or her to suffer when you're gone. That's not called love. Love is wanting the other person to be happy at all times, with or without you. So when it comes to this beautiful diagram, I just really, um, well, I should call it a painting, a meme, I don't even know what you call it, but it is another label. It is another label of grief. You know, when I think back three years ago when I first heard of Rob's passing, 
the pain was intense. You know, obviously, as you can imagine, Rob and I were madly in love. We had our beautiful life, our two beautiful boys. We were the prime of our lives, 45, both of us. And then all of a sudden, I received this phone call. And in my book, I describe it as your record player, I'm showing my age here, playing your most favorite song. And all of a sudden, the needle scratches all over it. And there's deafening silence. That's exactly how it felt to me, the very first moment I heard about his passing. I do remember very vividly the first night that I spent at his parents' home because I drove all the way over to share those news with them because I found it way too brutal to tell them over the phone. And I was laying there. Um, Rob's brother kindly gave us his bedroom and I shared the bed with both the boys and I was laying in the middle and I was holding both of them and I remember this intense physical pain in my stomach it literally felt like somebody had emptied some acid in my stomach it was really intense physical pain that I felt and I realized that was grief when I think back then how I felt and how I feel today although we literally just had his passing day I know how much we have healed as a family and how well we are doing these days. Do we have moments of grief? Absolutely. Do we have moments of happiness? Lots of them. Because I make sure that I constantly create them. Because that's what I want. I want to be happy. I want life to be beautiful. And I know for a fact that that's what Rob wanted for us too. So does grief shrink over time? I honestly believe it does. But it doesn't just happen. This is the very important point here. It doesn't just shrink. So many people say this is another um, one of those labels that grief gets. You know, it'll get better over time. It'll hurt less over time. It doesn't just get better. I have people in my group that have been suffering immensely for decades and they still feel the same extreme pain, or so they say. And I'm not claiming for them to not be truthful. So I can only go by what they say. And they still feel the same, the same extreme pain that they have felt decades ago when they first learned about their child, their husbands, their parents passing. And they suffer immensely. So pain or grief doesn't just go away. It starts with a decision that we make. I made the decision on the very day when I heard of Rob's passing. I knew that I had to do everything I could in my power to create that. I knew it wouldn't happen like that overnight. I knew it took work. I was lucky enough that I have been working with mindset for almost a decade at that stage already. So I had a lot of tools. I had a lot of knowledge how our mind, our subconscious works, what I needed to do to overcome this. People don't just move on from grief. There is no moving on. It's a moving forward. It's a very conscious decision that you make. And it takes work. It takes a decision. It takes dedication to walk through that. I have created healing journeys. I've created programs. I've run retreats. It is all in the simple steps that we can do every single day. They are simple steps. I'm not saying they are easy, but they are simple steps. There's healing available to us. And society focuses more on the suffering, on how do we keep people stuck. 
if we look at that drawing, you know, the balls in in that jar, trying to explain that grief doesn't shrink, we grow around it. It's a combination of both in my case, and it is up to you what you choose, how you handle your grief. And the number one thing what I want to ask you is, what do you actually want to happen in your life? I have never once met a person that wanted to be unhappy, that wanted to be hurting. I have met people that didn't know how to stop the hurting, that didn't know how to stop the wanting to hurt. I want to say that again, that didn't know how to stop wanting to hurt because that is what they have learned from society. That's what they've learned from generations before them. This is how you're supposed to grieve. This is how you're supposed to deal with a loss. It is what we learn as a child. How do we handle a loss? It's what we learn from society as children, as adults. How are we supposed to deal with grief? Look around in our culture. There are so many cultures like Mexico, for example, like I had the beautiful um, Juan Pablo come and talk to us about the day of the death in, in Mexico, like how they celebrate the person's life rather than suffer about their passing, if that makes sense. I had the beautiful Dr. Nicole Gruel come into our Upswell Grief interview and talk about her near-death experiences and about her samurai grandmother and how they used to celebrate her life rather than suffer around her passing. So there are cultures out there who celebrate people's lives and that's what I want to do. I want to celebrate Rob's life and I want to celebrate the fact that he was in our lives because he gave me the two most beautiful presents I have ever received in my life and that is Flynn and Jed. So he will always live on in them and I understand that there are people out there who are not in that same position. I understand one thing. Grief is different for everyone. The way we deal with it is different for everyone and it is depending on how you were brought up in your life, how you were taught to deal with grief, how you were taught to deal with a loss in your life. For some that starts early with a pet and then with a grandparent and then with, and I'm not comparing the loss of a pet to the loss of a person. However, this is how as a child you learn to deal with a loss. And depending on how your parents dealt with you around that, how they shared with you how to deal with that, it has a huge impact on your life and also in particular at what age you experience that. I remember the first loss that I consciously remember was, um, I know that my grandfather, my, my maternal grandfather died when I was around four or five, but I can't remember much of that. But the one loss that I remember quite vividly was when my grandmother, my maternal grandmother passed in our house when I was 12. And my mother called us and said, do you want to see her? She looks so peaceful. And I did. I walked in and I couldn't, I couldn't believe, excuse me, <coughs> I couldn't believe how peaceful and beautiful she looked when she finally passed away because she was fighting really badly the last one and a half years. And I watched her because she lived with us. I watched her deteriorate and 
it was a relief for her to be allowed to go. So depending on the circumstances, not everybody is blessed to pass peacefully. I have heard so many really brutal stories, horrendous stories in my group, outside of my group, yet it all comes down to what you want, what you decide to do with it, and whether you decide to allow help in or not, because that is a huge factor. A lot of us have not learned to accept help, to allow help in. They don't know how to even do that. And when you are in those early stages of grief where it really hurts so tremendously and you don't even know how to ever get past this point, it is probably the most challenging time to allow help in, to allow people into your life. I had people come and just sit with me because I could not handle one more person telling me how I'm supposed to grieve or what is supposed to happen next. They all had prognosis for me, how long it will last and how horrible it will be. Not one person said to me, you've got this, you'll be fine. I believe in you. Well, I shouldn't say not one person. I had some really beautiful people come to my help and do that. But in the very first early stages, I wasn't able to allow them in. That's the full truth. I had to learn to allow people in to sit with me. I had to learn to allow people in to tell me, you've got this because I was so used to blocking everybody out because of all the um, expectations, how I'm supposed to grieve, that I couldn't hear the positives either. That's a very important point here. So another thing I'd really like to mention is the different stages of grief. There are five, there are seven, there are nine. People have been adding to it over time. And I believe, I'm not entirely certain if I'm absolutely correct here, but I believe that the origin comes from Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. She is one of the most well-known authors around anything grief-related. Yet what I only just recently learned is that those stages of grief were actually for terminally, terminally ill people and not for grieving people when they have lost a person. So really think about that. That makes so much sense when you think about the anger, the denial, the bargaining, those stages in particular. It makes so much sense when you think about it that they were first actually uh, written down for people that were terminally ill, that learned that they were about to die. That's where the anger came in, the denial. No, there's no way I'm going to die. The bargaining, uh, one more time. That made so much sense to me because I have to say after a past, I never had any form of anger. I was not once for one second angry at Rob for leaving me behind. I understand that a lot of people feel anger, but for me, the first question is always what lies underneath? Anger is a cover-up emotion. Anger comes out when we want to cover up an emotion that is so intense that we cannot handle it at the moment, whether that be sadness or anything um, else that is brewing underneath. We cover it up with anger when we don't know how to actually express our emotion, the true emotion underneath, safely. That's when anger comes out. Sometimes rage. It can turn into rage when 
It's that feeling of helplessness, how we are supposed to deal with that emotion or how can we actually express it. That's when the anger rears up. Think about that next time. If you ever feel angry, then feel into that and allow yourself to look underneath. That is the one thing I've learned in my own healing journey. Allow yourself to look underneath the process of observation. When there were feelings coming up that were way too strong for me, way too strong to handle in that very moment, to not allow that one feeling or that pile of emotions to define my whole healing process, my whole being, I allowed myself to learn to sit and observe them. What is actually happening within me? Why are they coming up? What am I supposed to learn from them? How can I express them in a safer way? Just sit and observe like you're watching a child when they're having a meltdown and you know you can't do anything with them. You can sit with them and hold space. And this is what you do as a parent. You sit and hold space. When a child falls apart and you don't know or they don't know how to deal with it, you don't know how to deal with it. They don't want you to hug them in that very moment. They need space to fall apart. But you are the one holding space for them. And this is what you can do with yourself. When you fall apart, allow yourself that space and observe. So one of the many uh, experiences that I have shared was coming back from an overseas trip when I travelled around the world with the boys and I had this moment of they were going back to school and I felt there was nothing left to do for me. Everything leading up to that point, those first nine months after Rob's passing, were a whole path of action steps, a whole path of planned events from the funeral to writing and publishing my first book to traveling around the world with the boys to coming home, sending them back to school and so many little events in between. Everything was planned. I had such an action step list, a to-do list. And I came home and there was nothing left on that list. Everything was done and all of a sudden I didn't know what to do with this. I sat there and I felt quite vividly that it would have been so easy for me at that very moment to dip or slide into depression. And I was lucky that I was so aware of it, what was going on. I sat on the floor in my living room and had a beautiful rug and I could feel what was going on. I was sitting there observing myself and this whole process lasted for over a week that I kept watching myself, my thoughts, some of them were really not nice. And then I looked at that pile of happiness that I had created since Rob passed and all the beautiful happy memories before then and I didn't know how to get back to that. So I allowed myself to sit and observe, to see what was going on and I knew very consciously that I did not want to slide into something that to me felt like this could be depression. I've never been there, so I didn't really know what was going on, but it felt dark. 
it felt like there could be a point of no return and I knew I didn't want to go there. It was a very conscious decision at that very moment. So I'm going to pick another one, one that I hear a lot in grief groups and luckily not so much in mine because my group really focuses on the hope, on the healing, on the happiness, on the loving life after loss part. So that one saying that I hear so much in other grief groups is there'll always be a hole in your heart. Just sit with that for a moment. There'll always be a hole in your heart. Really? Everything I do in my healing journeys, in my programs, in my retreats, in my day-to-day -day living with people, talking to people about healing, everything is based on shifting your perspective. Shifting your perspective around the same thing that we are looking at. We are all dealing with grief, but everybody looks at it from a different angle. Some from a very rather negative, others from a very positive, from a healing point of view. So what if that one statement, there'll always be a hole in your heart, you would replace the word hole with place? There'll always be a place in my heart for Rob. There'll always be a place in my heart for my dad, for Shane, for my grandmother, for so many people that have died before me. Just feel into that when you say that and replace the name with the name of your loved ones. <clears throat> There'll always be a place in my heart for you, Rob. That feels so beautiful and absolutely true. It was a huge part of my life, a huge part of my life. There'll always be a place in my heart. My heart is huge. I've got a lot of space for a lot of people in there. Yet what I have done and what I'm very actively doing in my life is whoever those people are, I work on a list of gratitude. I work on a list of things that I'm so grateful for that they have brought into my life, that they have gifted me in the time I was with them. And that is what I want to hold in my heart. And that is what I've got bucket loads and oodles of love, like I like to say. <laughs> bucket loads and oodles of love. I've got so much space for all that gratitude, for all that love in my heart. A beautiful person once said to me, you've got an enormous capacity of love, Maria Lizzie. And yes, I do. I do have that. And I have an enormous capacity because I only allow the happiness in. I only allow the happiness to stay. And for that, there'll always be plenty of space. And I want you to think about what happens when you replace those negative sayings with more neutral ones or even positive statements. And for me, there'll always be a place in my heart is so positive and so beautiful and so true. I wouldn't call that a hole. 
because the hole will just let everything fall through, nothing stays there. But the place in my heart holds an enormous capacity for all the beautiful memories that we have created together and I want to keep them there. I don't want to have a hole in my heart where it all falls through. I want to keep them there. I want to keep growing my heart and collecting and creating happy and positive memories. And I invite you to do the same. And I invite you, if you're not already in there, to do two things. First of all, come and join our group, Loving Life After Loss. And secondly, if you're watching this on YouTube, hit the subscribe button so you keep up to date with everything that we do in this group. I'm sending you bucket loads and oodles of love from my heart to yours. Thank you so much for watching. This is Maria Lessie. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you enjoyed the show and you would like to find out more about Loving Life After Loss, please visit marialessie.com. I shall see you next week. Bye. Thank you.